All right, we're in a series uh, called Broke, Stress, Money, and the Gospel. What we just saw in that video is if you get the big things in the place that they should be, the priorities will work themselves out as God gives us strength. And if you got your Bibles, go with us to the Old Testament and Ecclesiastes. If you go right in the middle, you'll find Psalms, Proverbs. To the right of Proverbs will be in Ecclesiastes this morning. And Jesus made a statement in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, no man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or love the one and despise the other. Then he said, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says you can't serve both. And if you were here with us last week, we looked at a story from Luke chapter 12. There was this guy who had done really well. He was a top, top farmer. He had had a bumper crop, total financial success in that day and time. And what did he decide to do with what God had blessed him with? And he said, let me just store it up and I'm going to tear down my barn and build a bigger barn. And he consulted with himself there. If you want to take notes from last week, chapter 12 and verse 20 in the gospel of Luke, when he consulted with himself and himself alone. And the point that we drew from last week's message is that if we have a right relationship with God, we'll live in such a way to show that money and stuff is not our God. Right? Because the culture tells us that he who dies with the most toys wins. But then most of us have heard that you can't take it with you, so we know that life is not just all about stuff. But sometimes it's difficult, is it not? It's difficult when we live and when we see things that other people have and things that we want, we can very easily be caught up into what gets us into an income and an outflow problem. An inflow, outflow disconnect. And there's one man who said this. When your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. And it's been said that some people suffer, suffer with back problems, back taxes, back rent, back alimony, right? That everything's backed up. So when we come to the word of God, if, if you're new to church, you're like, I knew it. I absolutely knew it. First day in church, and we're talking about cha-ching, right? Like, when is the plate going to be passed again? But as followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to get to the giving part here in a couple of weeks. But we understand that our faith in Christ is not just a Sunday morning activity, is it? It's not just that we go to church, but this is basically the pinnacle, the highlight, the gathering together of everyone who's like-minded to get together and do what we need to, which is to give praise to the Lord. So in other words, our relationship with Christ is not just a Sunday morning activity, but our relationship with Christ covers every aspect of our lives. That means that a man who follows Jesus Christ should love his wife and his children more than a man who doesn't follow Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is love. We follow Jesus, we become more like him, we become more loving. It means that we men who follow Jesus Christ should be far more courageous than men who don't. Because Jesus is the ultimate example and picture and exemplification of courage. 
It means that we should be the most hardworking people out there because our Bible tells us that whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord. Even when you have a boss that makes you want to slash his or her tires, even then. So followers of Christ, we've got the greatest motivation that can be found. So when we talk about finances, it's not just money and dollars and cents and stuff and salaries. It's actually an aspect of our faith. And here's a statement that we're going to make probably a lot and here may not agree with it, but we're going to break it down next week. I really hope that you're here next week because we're going to talk about debt. Everybody say debt. Okay. Now already some of y'all are already making plans not to be here. Because usually when we talk about poor financial decisions, there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of embarrassment. There's a lot of let me look at the ground and avoid eye contact. But we're going to look at some fascinating things next week from God's word that teach us how not to have to live paycheck to paycheck or behind month to month. But here's the statement that we're going to make today. Next week, we're going to try to put that book in on it. Here's the statement. Consistently spending more than we make is proof of a spiritual problem. It is quiet. Let me say that again. Consistently spending more than we make is proof of a spiritual problem. You say, Jeff, what is the spiritual problem? Well, the problem is idolatry. If you're taking notes... There are many passages in the Bible that deal with this that we'll get to in just a moment. But how many American churchgoers have thought, if I give money a status that I should only give God, if I have an emotional connection to stuff that should be reserved for God, I'm an idolater. Now, in Franklin County, there's not too many idols that I've seen. There are a few people that are into spiritualism and things like that, but it's not the norm for our culture. But what we're going to see here this morning from the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament is that Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived, breaks down and exposes, this is so crazy, money myths that we still buy into today that results in an income outflow discrepancy. And what happens? We could all preach that sermon, right? When money's tight, we've got credit card debt. We're going to talk about statistics next week. Amazing how much we're in debt in America. We've got, we've got school debt. We've got credit card debt. We've got, uh, Apple debt. I always remember in school, like there was the guy who had like 15 Apple products, but he couldn't buy lunch. You're like, bro, like what? You know, and we've got, we've got house debt, we've got car payments, we've got, I mean, it's just like, we've got bills coming at us like a candidate, and we're trying to do this bob and weave maneuver financially. And then we hear mom and dad getting frustrated, and we talked about last week, marriage is not easy because you take two sinners together, and they're supposed to live together in harmony and bliss, and I know that's y'all's marriage, right? All of us who love Jesus, right? There's never any tension. And so here's the thing. People just being people, life is difficult. Then when you add financial pressures on top of that to where we're so behind, we don't know what's going to happen. And we still want to take the kids out to McDonald's once in a while. Stress upon stress upon stress upon stress. And it's almost like if you've seen some of those YouTube videos where people just load down a truck far more than what it's rated for. And it's just like... 
and then finally something, you know, something breaks, something snaps in relationships. And so we're going to look at it, Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. We are not afraid of the five letter M word money. A lot of places you go, they say, I will never talk about money. I'm like, bro, Jesus talked about it all the time. But it wasn't in a TV preacher fashion, give us more so we can buy more jets. Jesus loves us, and Jesus knows how close money and cool stuff can be to our heart. So what he's trying to do is help us make the decision to serve God rather than to serve money. Now, for our Bible scholars here this morning, when we look at Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, here are some things that you need to know. Ecclesiastes, big word of the day, nihilism. It's an atheistic philosophy that says there is no God, there is no purpose, there is no point in life. And in fact, many students today and people who are even above high school and middle school who take their own lives, they believe it at least to the point that they take their own life. Sometimes believers can be confused. People can be in a state of mind that's not right. But Solomon is giving this treatise, this philosophical treatise, and the foundation is an ancient style of nihilism saying, under the sun, meaning life apart from God, it can be categorized as this, vanity of vanities. What it means, you get cool stuff, cool stuff is going to get old. Any of you are into computers, how long does the new computer stay in? Like there's, there's always going to be some dude in his mom's basement. I have got a f- processor speed, right? It's always going to one up. Always going to be cooler. I mean, motorcycles, come on. You look at bikes 10 years ago and they weighed so much more and they went so much slower. Now it's just like trying to keep them on the ground. And you look at all of these things. What Psalms is saying is that if you live life, like some of you rockers, the Rolling Stones song, I Can't Get No, Sinners. No, but seriously, when Mick Jagger, when they sing that song, I can't get no satisfaction, can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try and then it goes back again. I can't get no satisfaction. That's actually a perfect expose of life without a relationship with God. Man, you, you guys, you land that babe and you're like, I don't know if global warming is true, but if it is, she's the cause. She is that hot. Right? Like the, and then ladies, you land that ultimate guy and he's got everything. And you can just kind of take those pictures like that on Facebook and all your other girlfriends. Like, look at that. Look at what you got. Look at your haul. Look what you bagged. It's kind of like showing off and I'm not showing off. Everything's going great. And then guess what happens? Ladies, he gets old, bald, fat, and cranky. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually, maybe not like in the first six months. And guys, and then, maybe that was too much. <laughs> but then, but then she changes, right? And, and we see in Hollywood, and it's easy for us to make fun of Hollywood, how it's this group of people that are always trying to attain El Dorado, that city of gold, that fountain of youth. They're trying to stay long, young and look young and dress young, but they're old. And we see how the marriages, father-son, mother-daughter relationships in so many of those situations are just obliterated by trying to get satisfaction out of things that were never intended to satisfy. And if we could read Ecclesiastes, our first response would be like, this guy's in depression. No, no, no. He's a realist. And not a negative realist. What he's saying is actually factually true. 
that if God does not exist, then everything that you and I do, everything from hearing a good comic on TV or in real life to going to a great concert, to a great vacation, to building a big house, to having a beautiful family with these precious little... Isn't it cool? Let me just get off on a track. When we have the children go out like that, I mean, it's not... We're not saying like, get out, right? Like, that's not saying that's cool. But like when they're just flooding through here and God's blessed us with so many children and you see they're so precious and we would defend them with our lives. Oh my goodness. And you get all of that. What Psalm is saying, all of that, if God does not, if he doesn't exist and you don't have a good relationship with him, all of that is meaningless. Empty, hollow, yell and hear the voice echo and echo and echo and echo and echo. And it's amazing that around 3,000 years ago, Solomon in Jerusalem nailed it dead center on myths that we believe today about money, satisfaction, and finance. Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse number 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Let's read it again. He who loves money, will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has the has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. First money myth that some of us believe is that if I had more money, I'd be satisfied. Some of us who may make 20,000, we say if I could reach that 35 or that 40,000 mark, I'd be good. Some that are at 40, 45, they say, you know what, if I could just hit that 50, 50,000 a year, I'd be okay. For some that make a little bit more in the 60s or 70s, say, you know what, eight is a really cool number. Especially when you put several zeros after it and it's on a check that has my name. That would just be cool. 80,000 in a year. Then you go up and up and up and up. What the Bible says and what so many of us don't believe is that, look at it again, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. The issues that we have in our life will not be satiated by more. This word in the Hebrew means for love. This is crazy. It says, literally means to breathe heavily, to be excited. When I pull out, when my dog was alive and I would pull out a piece of bread and say, do you want some bread? You needed to give the dog the bread quickly. Otherwise, you'd have slobber everywhere. You could take the bread and go up and down like that slobber would be hitting on the ceiling. It's almost like a love for money that's like when we have something that we, it's like, man, I cannot wait to have that food. Krispy Kreme donuts or cookout or, or, or Little Caesars or whatever the food may be. It's all healthy food, right? To have such a love and a desire for money, he says that it will not be satisfied. If you're taking notes, we're going to take a little trip through Ecclesiastes here so that we can tie in with what he's getting to with context. In chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, All things are full of weariness. 
A man cannot utter it. it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear with hearing. Meaning, we'll never be able to go to a place on this earth, as beautiful as some places are, and say, I've seen it. I'm satisfied. Do you remember in, in the beginning of Luke, this is such an awesome story that we don't have time for, but when you had um, those two older people and they saw baby Jesus being brought into the temple and they say, I have seen the Christ. And it was basically their state of mind and heart. Lord, you can take me now. Take away, only Jesus satisfies you know, you know what's interesting too? We live in the mountains. Mountain yell, right? Where do we go when summer comes? Thank you. Everybody goes to the beach. Rocky Mount. Posting selfies on the beach, right? You know where the beach people go on vacation? The mountains. You go to Pigeon Forge. You talk to people there. Man, it's so beautiful. Oh, I wish I was in Florida. You talk to people there. The, the, the point here is that we are not satisfied by beauty. What he's saying is that he said the eye is not with, filled with hearing and, or the ear filled with hearing, the eye with seeing. He's saying that it's like for us today, you can never listen to the coolest songs. Like when you're listening to Pandora or whatever it may be, internet streaming music on the radio, you always want to hear more, right? But it doesn't ever satisfy. Chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. This is Solomon speaking. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. So he enjoyed his work. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. And a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. What he's saying is that I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked. But I realized that what I worked for, even though it was good, I'm not going to be able to hold on to it. Even though I've worked to amass all of this wealth, I'm never going to be able to spend it all. And so that he begins to despair about life itself. Y'all ready for the craziest prayer in the Bible? You ready? Write it down. Psalm chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. This is David. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Here it is. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say who is the Lord. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. How many of us would that be our prayer? God, don't give me too much. Pay raise, keep it. That's not, and here's the thing. Let, let me make a note here and we'll break this down in greater detail next week. Making money, making good money, making a lot of money is not bad. In fact, it's a great way for us to be able to give to missions and help people who need it. But what David is confessing here is something that I find difficulty confessing because how easy it is for my heart to gravitate to money and stuff and say, because I have this much, I'm okay. You ever done that? To look at what you have and say, okay, I'm okay for this month or I'm saving up for this. 
where biblically our hope should be solely in God. You said, Jeff, earlier you said that consistently living on more than we make is a sign of a spiritual problem. Let me give you a verse on that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now check out this list. Sexual immorality. That means going to a bar and finding what or whomever you can go home with and do whatever with. Impurity. That's a miscellaneous drawer for any type of sexual impurity. Passion, evil desire. Here it is. And covetousness, which is idolatry. Now hold on. You've got like the hangover part one and two, and then covetousness. All in the same package. Why would God give us that in the Bible? Because for some of us, we say, STDs don't appeal. Y'all all right? Like I see, I see the damage of that. I don't want to go that route, but what I will do in my heart as I come to church, I will, I will take security in what I have. Let me give you another verse in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 5. The Bible says, you, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetousness, parentheses, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. In other words, according to the Bible, you take party, hardy, hangover, type of lifestyle, and biblically that's on par with taking value and security in what we have over security and value in Christ. Hello. If that doesn't step on our toes, I don't know what will. Go to verse 12 in chapter 5. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. What is saying here, what Solomon's getting across, is that the more money we earn... If we don't have a relationship with God, the more we become obsessed with money. It was John D. Rockefeller that until he started giving away his millions and millions and millions, he could only drink milk and eat crackers. John D. Rockefeller could walk into the, I mean, the most mama-slapping good steakhouse in New York City and buy it. But he couldn't eat it. Because he didn't have a relationship with God and he was consumed with his wealth. If we believe the lie that another 10,000, another 5,000, a new job, a new career will satisfy, then what we're doing is we're believing a lie that Solomon exposed over 3,000 years ago. And what will happen is not only will we not be satisfied, we'll be filled with more anxiety and more anxiety and more anxiety. So not only do we have a lie today in our culture that says, if I only had a little bit more money, I'd be okay. We also have another lie that basically would say, if I had better stuff, I'd have a better life. Notice verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? In chapter 4, in verses 7 and 8, he says, Solomon, again I saw vanity under the sun, the one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never... check. This is philosophically for those... And we're glad that you're here if you're a skeptic. Amen, church? Like, we're so excited that you're here. But this is philosophical brilliance at its finest. He says that for those who has no other son or brother... That rhymes, let's go. Cool. There is no end to all his toil. A.K.A. workaholic. 
Some of us in here that are, we define ourselves by our work. He says, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, quote, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity in an unhappy business. In other words, he's saying that if you're a workaholic and you do well financially and you get to that point where you can retire and use up what you have before you croak, maybe, why not just do that? But then again, the record goes on another path because pleasure doesn't satisfy. Riches don't satisfy. Nothing outside of a relationship with God will satisfy. In the West, we say, well, Jeff, you know what? We don't want to be greedy Scrooge McDuck. What we want to do is just have fun. Get money to have entertainment. There's an article about a man. This is actually this morning in Taiwan. And the article of the, the title of the article is man dies after three day internet gaming binge quote doctors confirmed that he had suffered cardiac failure ruling it as a sudden death from prolonged computer gaming the report said some more hyperactive moms like that's it that's it xbox is going out the door he's be out there beating on it with a sledgehammer right it's amazing how we as people are like dude i don't do like i don't I don't do the weird World of Warcraft like wear a diaper, stay there for 72 hours. I'm like, I'm not that guy, Jeff. I'm not, I'm not that guy. I just, I just enjoy, I just enjoy a good time. I just enjoy better adventures. If I just had a little bit more and could do some more stuff and some cooler stuff, then I'd be okay. Had a conversation with a guy, uh, at, uh, at El Rodeo the other day and, and I knew him from, uh, from some of the gym stuff and, and he said, he said, <clears throat> I'm struggling, he said, but what, what would actually fix my problems? No joke, he said, if I could just win the lottery. If I could just win the lottery. And I say, well, you know, they say that most people who win the lottery end up going broke or crazy within a couple years because you've got friends that you never had and third and fourth uncles who show up on your doorstep. He's like, oh, well, I would, I would just, I would just move. I would just move down to Mexico with my mom. I was like, then you wouldn't have friends. You just have amigos, right? It's the same, same thing, same thing. And let, let me get, let me give you a few, a few statistics here. Uh, this is from Market Watch, a, a very good financial website. And we'll talk about that in the, another couple of weeks. But the title of the article is, Why Lottery Winners Go Bankrupt. Callie Rogers blew a 2003 UK lottery jackpot of $3 million on shopping, cocaine, friends, and breast augmentation and told reporters two years ago that she was working as a maid. William Bud Post squandered his 1988 Pennsylvania prize of $16 million in 88. The year of the mullet. (laughs) On houses, vehicles, and bad businesses before going bankrupt and serving time for firing a shotgun. You can't make this up. For firing a shotgun at a bill collector before his death in 2006. Doesn't say whether it was his death or the bill collector's death. Another, another article from Forbes by Susan Adams called Why Winning Powerball Won't Make You Happy speaks of a man, West Virginia man, Jack Whitaker, who won a $315 million Powerball jackpot back in 2002. Hold on. Take a million dollars, stack it up, smell it, get high, and stack up 314 other stacks. Some of y'all are like, At first, this, 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 this is amazing. At first, he gave millions to charity, including 14 million to start his own foundation. But later, a briefcase with, a briefcase 
$545,000 in cash and cashier's checks was taken from his car while it was parked outside a strip club. His office and home were broken into and he was arrested twice for drunk driving. His granddaughter died under suspicious circumstances and by 2007 he had spent most of his money. He told reporters, quote, I wish I'd torn that ticket up. Solomon says over over 3,000 years ago, he says, guys, more money. If you don't have a relationship with God and you love money as you should love God, more money will not make you better. It will make you worse. It will expound the problems of the heart. And for students today, let me just say a word. For those of you that are looking to see what you want to do when you grow up, um, don't, and I know a lot of times we hear this from parents and grandparents and people and teachers. When they say, what do you want to do? A lot of times the first place that we run to is the dollar amount. Let me get the printout to see the jobs in the U.S. and see who makes the most. And I'm going to start choosing from there. That is a great way to end up disillusioned and bitter. Because if you get that fat cat paycheck, if you make a lot of money, but money is your God, the end result is absolute catastrophe and loss. And if you don't, then there's the bitterness and envy of not being able to do what you believe you should be able to do. Instead, let's encourage our students who follow Jesus Christ to get alone with God and to talk with godly mentors, whether it's mom and dad or other people who love Christ, and say, what do you have a passion for and how can God use you around the world? Because the Bible tells us that God will provide all that we need. Amen, church? That means that I can go where he sends me to go. That means you can do what he sends you to do and know that he will take care of you. You say, all right, Jeff been like we've been getting punched in the face for 45 minutes what do we do to fix it this goes into next week but let me give you two uh, responses here causes and solutions two solutions to an income outflow disconnect number one lack of a god-centered plan for your life that is the ultimate reason for a consistent living above our means when we're in in crazy debt it is the lack of a god-centered plan for your life I know I may get emails from this, but like I said, we're going to wrap it. We're going to tie into it next week. Having, so here's, here's the solution. Having a God-centered view of life is vital to properly managing our money. Properly managing our money is not just merely amassing wealth for ourselves and becoming debt-free so that we can go on bigger vacations. But what it is, is it's frugally and precisely managing what God has given us so that we'll be able to go where God would have us to go. Right? That's, that's the difference. You see, the key here is contentment. And for a Christ follower who realizes that he and she, we are sinners before God, we could never earn our salvation, that when we die, we will bust hell wide open, not because God is cruel, but because we deserve to go there. But knowing what the Bible says, that God sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin, And to set me free from greed and from pride and from covetousness. To live for something bigger than myself. To where me trying to be healthy is not just so that I can live long. But the question is, why do we want to live long? The gospel begins to change it all when we have a God-centered view of not just finances, but our whole life. So that it no longer becomes, how can I 
properly get out of debt and manage my money so I can have better stuff. But it becomes, how can I properly manage my finances so that I'll be able to help people and go where God would have me to go? And what an amazing thing retirement could be. Go with me on this. If you are retired, unless you're very, very young, you're probably a senior citizen. And seniors, we love you. Amen, younger folks? As a senior citizen, you can get away with stuff. You can. You can volunteer as long as God gives you the help. You can go on mission trips that you couldn't do when you were working full time. You can volunteer at your church. You can, I mean, you've got time. And if there's a God-centered view of your life, it's like, man, I can't wait to get to retirement. I'm going to serve the Lord until I get there. But once I get there, I'm going to be able to do more because I'll have more time. And if you're a fisher, then take somebody with you on the boat. Amen? If you're a duck hunter, take somebody out with you on the boat. And then with a gun in your hand, tell them about Jesus. Do it. You see, a God-centered view of our life helps us to look for something greater than just retirement to where we can sit, soak, and sour. It helps us to look forward to retirement so that we'd be able to do more for Jesus. Here's a great statement by Pastor Greg, Craig Groeschel. He says, quote, we don't serve money, we serve God. But money serves us as we serve God. So the first solution to beginning the steps of correcting an income outflow problem to where we spend more than we make is to first off realize it's a heart issue and to have a God-centered view of our life. And secondly, it's understanding that a lack of understanding, that ultimate satisfaction isn't found in a bigger salary, cooler stuff, or a more rewarding job. But ultimate satisfaction is found in living in relationship with God. Psalm chapter 119 verse 36 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. John Piper says this, Christianity, especially if you're new to church, and we hope this clears the water for you, Christianity is not mainly about obedience to commands, but about the transformation of what you treasure. I've got my, uh, my checkbook here. And if I took this check out of my checkbook, it's blank. What following Christ is, is it's literally giving him the blank check of your life. Saying, Lord Jesus, my life is not my own. I did not create myself. I did not pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Even the the mind that I disciplined to be able to study hard and to work hard. And even the hands that I used to create this wealth. All of that is from you. So what I'm doing is I'm pulling out my checkbook and I'm writing this to you a blank check of my life I'm giving it to you and when we have a right relationship with God when we take that blank check of our life and we say God whatever you're calling me to do and we lay that down on the altar and that relationship with God becomes a reality and we're saved and it it starts and we have new desires and we, we realize that living for the old things, the stuff and the salary and the cool vacations. And there's cool stuff and cool places to go. But man, it's nothing in comparison to doing something for Jesus. 
You see, when, when your heart changes, you get far more out of being able to volunteer to teach these children a Bible study once a quarter than a whole week in Cancun. Because you realize that it's better. Christianity is not about saying that money has no value, that stuff is not valuable, and that places are not beautiful. Christianity is about giving the one who made all those things possible the proper glory that he's due, thanking him for that and saying, God, wherever you lead me, I'm going to go.